ESPN Radio. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio, also on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Harry, with the breaking news from Calvin Ridley, it definitely makes it feel like the Aaron Rodgers story is an afterthought, but that's something that's rapidly approaching in terms of when we can expect the decision because we know that something has to happen before the start of the new league year on March 16th because of Aaron Rodgers' contract. His contract has him set to have a $46.6 million cap hit in 2022. And as our very own Mina Kimes just said to us moments ago on this show, ain't no way in hell that Aaron Rodgers is going to play 2022 on that contract. It's either going to get reworked or the Green Bay Packers are going to be forced to trade him. Either way, we're going to have a decision in a little over a week on where Aaron Rodgers' football future is going to take him. That absolutely has to happen. Well, we expected a decision way sooner than this, but I guess at this point we don't have no choice but just to accept the decision when Aaron Rodgers wants to give us the decision, Chris. Whenever that may be, we just know it should be before the league year starts on March 16th, which happens to be my brother's birthday as well. (laughs) All right. So for more on this, to give us some insight as to when Rodgers is going to bestow his good graces on us and let us know when he's going to make a decision, we're going to go out to the hotline and bring on Jason Wilday, who is – one of the writers for The Athletic, and he's also the co-host of Will Day and Tosh up in the Milwaukee area. And, Jason, we got to ask you about Aaron Rodgers. He said that this decision wasn't going to take very long. We're 43 days from when the Packers last played their game in the divisional round, and yet we still don't have a decision. So do we have any insight as to when we could potentially get a decision from Aaron Rodgers and when he's going to inform the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, I think the uh, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I, I think the word bestow was a pretty good one there because I would love him to bestow that information on us so we can all start to move on with our lives. But no, I don't. I think we all expected it to be during the window of the franchise tag, right? That it was in some way connected to Devontae Adams. And unfortunately, to this point, they have not either put the tag on him or reached a long-term deal with him. And so Rodgers is still apparently in a holding pattern. Now they have to make the decision by 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow on whether they're going to tag him. And there's no way, I don't want to steal Mina Kimes' line, and I love Mina, but there ain't no way in hell that they're going to let Devontae Adams walk out the door. So they're nowhere close to a long-term deal. He is getting the franchise tag. And now the question becomes, how does that influence what Rodgers wants? And can we get an answer tomorrow? And I'm not sure we will. Jason, how much of a headache waiting on Aaron Rodgers to make his decision can uh, is bearing on teammates of Aaron Rodgers, the coaching staff, management, fans? How much of a headache is this? Well, I'll speak for myself, and it's definitely a headache for me. But it's, the media <laughs> starts with me, but it's not about us, right? So – Look, I, I lived through Favre Watch every year for, what, five or six years. He did that with retirement. This is, this is something that we knew was going to happen, right? I mean, we knew Rodgers was indecisive on playing and whether he wanted to 
stay in Green Bay or not. And we still, you know, I think the report over the weekend during the combine was that he was torn on where he wants to play, which let's be honest, that's not the same as if he wants to play. So I think we've at least eliminated realistically the retirement part of this, but you know, I think it's a burden on a couple of levels. Certainly, you know, you guys and, and I, we don't, we're not in the locker room nowadays, but for those that have played, they know what the locker room is like and the, the frustration, even if you're not in that locker room, cause you've gone your separate ways for the off season, you like clarity. You want to know what's going to happen. You want to know what kind of team you're going to be on next year. And so for his teammates, while I'm sure they're understanding. And while the Packers obviously want Rogers back because they have a Super Bowl chance with him and probably don't without him. Uh, they still are probably a little bit as players wanting clarity on his future. The really big issue, though, are the teammates that are going into free agency or are guys that either need their contracts reworked or are potentially going to be released to create salary cap space. We're talking about Mason Crosby, their kicker, who's got a $4.7 million cap number. We're talking about Zadarius Smith, who has a huge cap number, like $28 million. Like, those guys need to know what's going to happen to them. And then finally, the free agents that they have in this group. Devondre Campbell was a first-team All-Pro. They definitely want him back. He is probably going to command a pretty good salary, and the Packers have made it clear to these players' agents that they can't move on their guys until they know what's going to happen with Rodgers. So the trickle-down of Rodgers' uncertainty is significant to all these players, and on top of that, it's obviously significant to the team that has to figure out exactly what their cap situation is going to look like because right now they're $30 million over. Talking with Jason Wilday, co-host of Wilday and Tosh from ESPN Milwaukee. And Jason, one of the things, one of the reports that we've seen from Adam Schefter and others is that the Green Bay Packers have offered Aaron Rodgers a record-breaking contract, but in the short term, that contract is believed to be able to lower the cap hit for Rodgers. So, in fact, some of the, the moving parts that, that, that could be clarified and some of the guys that Aaron Rodgers would like to keep – it would be easier for the organization to do that business if Aaron Rodgers went ahead and signed the extension that they're offering him. Do we have any idea what that extension looks like, what the dollar figure is, what we can potentially expect if he does decide to stay in Green Bay? So let's let's hypothetically say that it's two years and $100 million. And again, that would make right? That would make sense. It's $50 million a year. It puts him ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Then they make it, they write it so there's the voidable years so they can spread uh, the signing bonus out over two more years that aren't really going to exist on the contract. His cap number, as you guys were talking about earlier, $46.6 million. I think the numbers that I was looking at would lower his cap number to probably around 30 or $31 million for 2022. And so that gives you $15 million in change in cap space. That basically takes care of half your problem with getting under the cap. The other part of this, though, is that if they franchise tag Devontae Adams and have to leave the franchise tag on him, as you guys know, that's a one-year guaranteed deal, and for wide receivers, that's $20 million. So right now, Devontae Adams isn't counting against their cap because he's a free agent or a free agent to be. So they have to clear more space if the cap has to stay on or if the tag has to stay on him. So there are those moving parts, and those are the challenges, but Yes, there's no doubt about it. The level of the, the burden that his current cap number causes 
makes it untenable for them to keep him on this last year of his deal. They have to figure out whether they're going to move him or they're going to extend him and lower that number. Jason, if you had to pinpoint one thing that would make Aaron Rodgers stay in Green Bay, what do you think that one thing is? Boy, that see, that's a really good question because mm-hmm. I thought we already had it, and that was Tom Clements. I mean, here's a guy who was Rodgers' quarterback's coach or was on the staff as offensive coordinator or a senior offensive assistant for 11 of Rodgers' 17 seasons in the NFL. He started out in 06. Rodgers was a second-year quarterback, and he came, and Tom Clements came in with Mike McCarthy. Uh, Matt LaFleur said during the Combine that Rodgers had significant influence in them hi- hiring Tom Clements, who, by the way, was 60, is 68 years old and was retired. He had coached Kyler Murray in Arizona in 19 and 20, but he retired after the 20 season. And I don't know that he was planning on coaching again until Matt LaFleur, who, by the way, had never even met Tom Clements until having lunch with him in L.A. during the Super Bowl week to interview him for this job. I mean, the fact that a guy, and you guys would know this better than anybody, to go out and hire a guy that you've never worked with to be your quarterback's coach, to placate Aaron Rodgers would seem to be that one thing you would like to pinpoint to say, okay, this deal's done. That's a wrap. He's coming back. He would never leave Tom Clements hanging and say, oh, congratulations on getting back in the NFL while you were happily retired. Now you get to coach Jordan Love. But that, I still think that's a possibility. Is it a likelihood? No, but the fact that we don't have a clear answer and Rodgers has gotten his hand-picked quarterback's coach to come out of retirement to coach him next year, tells me that this thing's not done yet, unfortunately. Jason, real quick, we saw Aaron Rodgers officiating David Bakhtiari's wedding this weekend. What has been the reaction from Packers fans with that, as well as the overall mood that they're in with Aaron Rodgers dragging this thing out? Yeah, I think I think there are certainly people that have Rodgers fatigue. There's no, you know, we hear them on our, our show and, and hear from them a lot. But I do think, and, and again, the, the teams that have fan bases that have watched their team struggle in the wilderness looking for a great quarterback, I do think a significant portion of the Packers fan base still fully understands, even with the playoff disappointment since winning Super Bowl 45, that having him gives you a much better shot than not having him. And I think most Packers fans, even if they're not real thrilled with him dragging this out or some of the stuff that went on during the season, He's the back-to-back MVP. He's won four MVPs. He's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, they understand that their team is better with him on it. Well, Jason, we appreciate your insight. Thanks for painting the picture for us, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Anytime, guys. Thanks for calling. Take care. Be good. All right, that's Jason Wilday from The Athletic and also co-host of Wilday and Tosh up at ESPN Milwaukee. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up next, we go back to the court as we bring on a special guest. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. You're listening to ESPN Radio with Harry Douglas and Chris Canny. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter, at ChrisCanny99 and at HDouglas83. And, Harry, we got to go out to the hotline to bring on one of your homeboys, 
NBA forward for the Phoenix Suns, Cam Johnson. And, Cam, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. I know you're fresh off of that 38-point performance that you had against the New York Knicks a couple of nights ago. But I wanted to ask you about your team right now. You guys took the L in a tough game yesterday against the Milwaukee Bucks, but you're still in pole position in the Western Conference. A couple of weeks ago, you had to deal with the reality that Chris Paul was not going to be a part of this team for several weeks now. And so what has life been like for your team? What's the mentality been in that locker room dealing with the absence of Chris Paul trying to maintain your position in the Western Conference standings? Um, just to keep going, keep improving every day, and um, just trying to find ways to win. Uh, CP is a big part of what we do and a big part of our identity offensively and defensively, but we also have a lot of guys that are capable of a lot of things. Um, so everybody's just kind of taking on the challenge and stepping up a little bit more. Cam, what's up, man? A long, it's been a long time since me and you were sitting in the stands together at an NBA Finals game. You were lucky enough to be able to play in the NBA Finals last year, and that's what I want to talk to you about, the difference in the mindset for the Suns from last year, that Finals team, to this year. What's the difference in y'all's mindset? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy that that's how we met in, in, in that environment, and then uh, just a couple of years later I was playing in it. But the mindset, the mindset's still the same. Um, I, I'd say the one thing, the advantage we have this year is that experience from last year, um, and that 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 taste that you get so close, um, and then having, you know, the hunger for more. And you know, it's it's a lot of continuity with this group, and and we we know a lot more so what we're getting into come playoff time. Um, but the challenge always remains the same. Uh, teams show up in the playoffs, and, and beating a team four times is, is no easy task. And, and we're all aware of that and, and looking to uh, change the outcome, the final outcome this time. Cam, we know that Devin Booker is a superstar talent. He's a guy that's capable of scoring 70 on any given night. But can you talk about just the evolution of his game and his role, not only as a, a productive player on the court, but a leader in that locker room? I think a big thing, a big part of his game that goes unnoticed for the most part is is his intensity, especially on the defensive end. Um, maybe earlier in his career, people people didn't see that or he didn't show it as much. But since I've been on the team, he he's been a a big part of us defensively, um, and he guards the ball and and he's locked in and um, he contributes in, in a lot of ways other than scoring. And that scoring is always there for him. Um, and He's a guy that can just they can straight up get buckets. Um, so playing with him has been, been a lot of fun and, and um, definitely super important to what we want to accomplish. We're talking to small forward Cameron Johnson right now, the Phoenix Suns. Now, Cam, you was drafted in 2019 in the first round. Your first year, you averaged 8.8 .8 points a game. Year two, 9.6. This year, 12.8. Each year, you have gotten better and better. I want to know – who did you benefit from the most these last two seasons in the NBA? I think there's there's no teacher like experience, Harry. Um, just the experience of the game and seeing it and seeing how guys have been successful, um, seeing guys that that play similar to me, seeing my own teammate success, um, and then figuring out how to carve out my own role and what we have going on. Um, but that experience is invaluable. You know that playing playing at a professional level and just being able to process the game at a higher level and, and figure out where, where shots come from and where opportunities come from. Talking with Cam Johnson of the Phoenix Suns, he joins us on ESPN Radio, and it's Harry Douglas and Chris Canny. And, Cam, one of the things that Monty Williams said last year 
um, that I distinctly remember, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, everything that we want as a team is on the other side of hard. Now, it, it's, it doesn't get much tougher than going through the heartbreak of losing in an NBA Finals game, but, but how has that mantra manifested itself with you guys this season and being able to, to be back at the top of the conference standings with title aspirations? Um, Coach, Coach Mon has been saying that since day one, um, since training camp day one of my first season. We were coming off of a 1963 season. It was Coach Mon's first year in the program. It was my first year in the program. And that was one of the first things I can ever remember him saying. That everything we all want is on the other side of hard. And, and, it, and it has been. Um, you know, this season, to start the season, we started one and three. And there was a lot of a noise about how, you know, the finals run might have been a fluke or whatever. Um, but we were able to spin that and turn it into an 18-game win streak and then kind of build some momentum through the season. Um, but you face a lot of adversity, whether it's injuries, COVID this year has, has been a big one. Um, and right now we're going through it with uh, CP and Book out. Um, but, you know, everything we want, like you said, is on the other side of hard, and, and we understand that, and we understand that it's nothing, nothing is uh, going to be handed to us because of that finals run last year. I like Monty Williams. I think he is great, especially for young guys in the league, and you guys have a young team. But I got to ask you, what is Monty Williams' uh, best trait as a head coach? Um, th- I'll give you two because they're hard to pick between because one is just from a leadership standpoint. One thing I appreciate about, appreciate about Coach Mont is just his ability to kind of rally us um, as men. You know, when, when you're dealing with professional athletes, you can't just beat them over the brow kind of like maybe a high school or college coach would. Um, and Coach Coach Monty has has just a great way of getting through to us, getting us on the same page, motivating us day in and day out. Um, and that's not something I take for granted. But also his ability to drop plays, kind of at the at the drop of a dime. Just any situation we have. Uh, for example, the the play that won us playoff uh, game two in the Western Conference Finals against the Clippers, the alley oop to DeAndre Ayton with 0.5 seconds left. Mm-hmm. I mean that he as soon as that timeout was called drew it up, told everybody exactly what they were supposed to do, and we executed it just as he, he wanted us to on, on that uh, whiteboard, and it, it gave us a W. And he does that time after time after time. Um, and so that's just really impressive. Speaking of drawing things up, Coach Monty and Chris Paul are going to have to draw up a play where you in one of them State Farm commercials with Jake. I'm just saying, Cam, with you dropping 38 against the Knicks, it's about time they be able to find a way to work you into one of them commercials too, my yeah, man. You know what, maybe. Maybe I'll find my way in there one day. It was cool to see Coach Monty uh, make an appearance last time, so that was cool to see. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Cam, we wish you the best of luck the rest of the way. Hopefully we'll be talking to you in the playoffs talking about hoisting that Larry O'Brien trophy, man. Best of luck to you and your team the rest of the way. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right. That's Phoenix Suns forward Cam Johnson on ESPN Radio with Harry Douglas and Chris Canny. ESPN Radio is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Coming up next, we go back to the NFL in the story of the day, which is Calvin Ridley being suspended indefinitely for betting on the NFL. You're listening to Harry Douglas, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio.
I'm Christine Lisi. Developing story, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell suspended Falcons receiver Calvin Ridley through at least the 2022 season for betting on NFL games this past season while away from the team as he dealt with mental health issues. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting the NFL investigation determined Ridley placed bets involving three, five, and eight games that included the Falcons to win. ESPN radio host Chris Canty wonders if a one-season suspension is long enough for the league to send a message. You've got to protect the integrity of the game, and I'm not quite sure that even a one-year suspension sends a strong enough message is a big enough deterrent for the rest of the players in the National Football League given the temptation that could potentially be out there with guys engaging in gambling one way or another. Our Chris Canty. In recent weeks, multiple teams reached out to the Falcons to inquire about trading for Ridley. Each time, Atlanta declined to enter into any talks out of good faith, knowing the issues in store for the wide receiver. The NFL informed teams the salary cap for the 2022 season set at $208.2 million. That's a significant increase from the 2021 cap of $182.5 million. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio, also on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at HDouglas83, at ChrisCanny99. And, Harry, the news of the day is the NFL suspending Calvin Ridley indefinitely for gambling on NFL games. He placed a wager on the Atlanta Falcons to win as a part of a parlay bat back in November of 2021. And through its investigation, the NFL found – that he was guilty of placing this bet through a mobile app um, on his phone. And so it's just one of those situations now where the NFL is trying to make a statement about where it stands on players violating the league-wide policy that players, coaches, officials, and executives cannot bet on any NFL games. And in a letter to Ridley notifying him of his suspension, Commissioner Roger Goodell wrote, there is nothing more fundamental to the NFL's success and to the reputation of everyone associated with our league than upholding the integrity of the game. This is the responsibility of every player, coach, owner, game official, and anyone else employed in the league. Your actions put the integrity of the game at risk, threaten to damage public confidence in professional football, and potentially undermine the reputations of your fellow players throughout the NFL. Now, Harry, we've had players past and present chiming in on social media talking about what Calvin Ridley did in the ensuing suspension from the NFL. And this came from Emmanuel Acho on Twitter saying, you should be allowed to bet on NFL games as a player. The rule should be that you can only bet on your team to win. Harry, it sounds ridiculous to me, but where do you stand on that? <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I think the way it is that, you should not bet on NFL games if you're playing that sport. That's that's what it should be. And I don't think that should be hard for people to follow. Trust me, I've been around guys who I know have had a gambling problem. And they didn't even bet on their own game and playing in the NFL. They didn't bet on NFL games at all. And and I say that, though, Chris, because you brought up a great point um, when we're in the break is that what about the prop bets side of this? Yeah. Right? Because now you may have some friction in the locker room if you bet on yourself to get over 100 yards. I'm, I play receiver. Let's just say receiver. And that quarterback, you tell the quarterback, hey, I need to get this amount of yards uh, on the sideline when you got like four minutes left in the game. And he don't throw you the football. Now you got friction with your quarterback. Now you have other issues going to come on with your team. Another thing with this is that the reason why this is not good is because the NFL, they're going to do everything to protect that shield. And if they feel like it's going to be detrimental to the game of that shield, 
And a guy like Calvin Ridley, who is a big name, more so, I think, than anybody who's been through this situation in the National Football uh, League, they're going to make an example out of Calvin Ridley, who's the big name, so no one else goes down that path. And they don't have to deal with this anymore. Now, is it going to be somebody down the line who probably does this again? It yep. probably will be. But right now, everyone in the National Football League, their eyes are open and their eyes are really big right now because they see Calvin really got a year of suspension for betting $1,500. And I'd be curious to see whether or not the NFL launches uh, any further investigations into player conduct surrounding sports gambling because I guarantee you that Calvin Ridley wasn't the only player that was betting on games in the National Football League. Now, we won't have evidence. There's, you know, We don't know if we have evidence to that effect, but but there are players that, that gamble on sports in general, and it would be hard to think that players wouldn't try to use the inside information that they have in order to gain a competitive advantage when it comes to trying to win in sports betting. We know players around the National Football League are consumed with trying to get an edge, Harry. It happens with your, your your individual game. It happens with trying to help your team. It, it, it would be it, it would be ridiculous to think that players wouldn't necessarily look at that if they are into sports gambling as to trying to use whatever knowledge that they have to bet on the game. Now, the only difference is a lot of players around the National Football League, if they're if they're going to get involved with something like this. They wouldn't do it in their own name on a mobile app. They wouldn't. We, we've seen it in the past. Like, there have been players that have been known. Like, listen, I'm just saying, stories not, Stories in the locker room, players that to. have gone to bookies. There have been players that have done, you know, done stuff of that nature and nefarious actions like that in betting on the NFL, but nothing to this degree where they're doing it through a mobile app. And that's the part that the NFL has to crack down on because if you have clear evidence of a player violating a rule that you put in place – to protect the credibility and the integrity of the game, then you have to impose a punishment that is going to serve as a deterrent to keep other players from engaging in such actions. So I'd be interested to see what happens, the fallout from all of this, but I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to suggest that players should be allowed to bet on NFL games as long as they bet on their team to win. It's a slippery slope. There are other things that players can bet on in secondary markets, prop bets, things of that nature, you name it, where players have control over the outcome and what happens in the game, and that's the thing that the NFL is afraid of. So I think it just needs to be a blanket policy where the NFL stands firm in their position. We are not going to allow players in the NFL to bet on NFL games. That is a part of the privilege that comes along with playing in the NFL. And, Harry, when you come into the league – you know this, I know this, we're all told that playing in the National Football League is a privilege, it is not a right. right. And the minute that you violate the rules and the regulations of the National Football League, you jeopardize the privilege of being a part of this league, being associated with this league, and that's exactly what Calvin Ridley did. And Chris, another side of this is injuries, right? You may know about a player's injury and know that player's not playing that week, Yep. And you may bet against something or with something or if that player is going to play. And a lot of people in the gambling ranks don't know that information yet. So that's another advantage. Yeah, I can bet on I can bet on this player going under on total yards on my team because I know know he's he's banged up. I know he's he's in the ice tub. (laughs) (laughs) I know he's not going to rush 400 yards. The dude can barely walk without a walking boot. I don't have to worry about that. But that's the type of inside information that that could jeopardize the integrity of the game. And again, betters that are on the outside, when you start talking about sports handicappers, when you start talking about fans, 
people that that are that are on the outs on the NFL that they don't have that information. So again, as a a person that's involved with the game, you have a competitive edge. You have an advantage that they don't. So it just makes sense that the NFL stands firm in this policy. This was our very own Mina Kimes when she joined us last hour on the Calvin Ridley suspension. Take a listen. Whew. I mean, I, I, like everyone else, I'm kind of processing this because it's so unusual. Uh, it's not unprecedented, but it is in recent history, and it is also happening at a moment when the league has embraced gambling, which I think is important context for all of this because um, I don't think it would be inaccurate to say that they're setting an example here with Ridley. Uh, you know, right now, guys, my reaction is I just kind of feel sad. I mean, to I, I won't say throw away a career because it's a year right now. We'll hurt, pardon me, it's indeterminate, but we'll see. But to throw away this kind of potential um, for, you know, uh, what appears to be a very, very stupid mistake – I really don't think there's a word other than sad that you can use to describe it. And, Harry, the thing that surprises me the most is how Calvin Ridley is coming off as a sympathetic figure in all of this when he was the one that violated the rules. But we'll get into more of that in a little bit. Coming up next, we've got three and out. This is ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Chris Candy. More after this. ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio. And, Harry, yesterday at TD Garden, we had a moment where the fans let Kyrie Irving know exactly how they felt about him. Now, this was in within the last five minutes of the Celtics-Nets game. Jalen Brown, Celtics 4, was on the free throw line. And Jason Tatum tried to quiet down the crowd because they had a whole lot to say about Kyrie Irving, basically essentially chanting, that Kyrie Irving sucks, and they continue to do it while Jalen Brown was at the free throw line. Now, I, I, I will say this. <laughs> after the game, Kyrie Irving said, I know it's going to be like that the rest of my career. Coming here, um, the Boo Birds were out there in Boston. Now, Kyrie's two years in Boston didn't go the way that Celtics fans or the Celtics organization envisioned. But Kyrie went on to say, it's like a scorned girlfriend who just wants an explanation on why I left, but still hoping for a text back. It was fun while it lasted. The reality is I'm just grateful for my time here in Boston. Everybody in the front office, everybody in that locker room treated me well. I still have lasting relationships in our league that extend as a brotherhood to us, and we will remain close. And essentially, the fans in Boston said, Kyrie, they don't want you back. So I, I just I, I don't I don't understand exactly where Kyrie is going with that one, but it didn't go well in Boston when he was out there. So I can understand the fans having that kind of reaction. No, and it threw me for a loop because the drama that that Kyrie brought to Boston it's now with the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics seem to be fine in doing things and they actually won the game. So why would they need an explanation from Kyrie Irving? It's not like he won a championship since he left. No, you're absolutely right. But the fact that the game was actually closely contested and Jalen Brown was trying to knock down some free throws oh, yeah, to, 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 to give them a little more breathing room. <laughs> and the fans were like, damn this game. We got to let Kyrie Irving know exactly how we feel about it. Now, listen, we were both professional athletes once upon a time. And I remember when I left the Dallas Cowboys to join the New York Giants, who were a rival in the NFCs, and going back to Dallas, the fans were never shy about letting me hear it, especially after I made plays or sacked their quarterback. And that was one of the things that I always reveled in. I always enjoyed it. Harry, I'm not sure if you were ever faced with that same situation in your career, 
But I loved opportunities to do that to a fan base that didn't necessarily have those good feels about me. Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons fans, when I went to Tennessee, man, they still showed me love. So I don't have the bad stories like that, Chris. I'm a lovable guy, man. Come on, Chris. Nah, maybe it's an offensive guy versus a defensive guy thing. Maybe that's just what it is. You're listening to Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio. It's ESPN Radio with Harry Douglas and Chris Canty. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Got to give a shout-out to the guests that came through on the show today, Harry. Quentin Richardson, my guy Q Rich, uh, co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast, 13-year NBA veteran, giving us the latest on the NBA and what we saw this past weekend. Of course, LeBron James dropping 56 in a win over the Warriors and Jason Tatum being inspired, dropping 54 on the Brooklyn Nets head. Also, Jason Wilday, writer for The Athletic and co-host of Wilday and Tosh up at ESPN Milwaukee, giving us the latest on Aaron Rodgers' drama and then Michael Rothstein jumping in and talking to us a little bit about what's going on with the Calvin Ridley situation. Of course, he covers the Atlanta Falcons for ESPN. And then Phoenix Suns small forward Cam Johnson giving us the latest on the Suns and their push to end the regular season in pole position in the Western Conference. Harry, we also can't forget about Mina Kimes, our ESPN NFL analyst. If you missed any of it, go to the podcast, download, rate, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. But, Harry, now's about that time in the show where it's time for us to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three and out. And 3 and Out is brought to you by Indeed. Need to hire? You need Indeed.com slash credit. So, Harry, we got to start with a feel-good story in the NHL. Carolina Hurricanes' Ian Cole reached out to a young lady that had autism and actually lost a tooth, uh, one of her front teeth. And so Ian Cole wanted to show her some love, wanted to show her some support tweeted out a picture of him losing his front teeth and saying that that's what the cool kids are doing now. And he said, I love the look. Obviously, all the cool kids are doing it now. She looks tough as nails. Why don't I take care of the jersey and we'll get her all hooked up? Thanks so much for reaching out and sharing her story. So pretty cool that the NHL is finding a way to put smiles on kids' faces, especially a kid that is dealing with losing a tooth and a little bit frustrated about it. And that's the beauty of sports, man, when you have people in these roles in certain positions giving back to the community. And it's a lot of different ways you can do that. And confidence and letting somebody know that you're going through the same thing or have been through the same thing that they've been through and can relate to them and making them feel comfortable in their skin, that's everything. And it pays dividends, my man. There it is. There it is. So shout out to Ian Cole. Big ups to him for doing the right thing in that situation and using the platform in a positive and responsible way. And speaking of platforms, we got to talk about my L.A. Lakers. And no, I'm not talking about the guys that were on the court on Saturday against the Warriors. I'm talking about the Lakers that were on HBO last night because HBO debuted Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, and I got to give a shout-out to John C. Riley, who played Dr. Buss, and Quincy Isaiah, the actor that played Magic Johnson, because they did both of those characters a tremendous amount of justice, and 
It was exciting. It was funny. And it detailed a lot of things that I didn't know about the history of the Lakers organization, all the way down to Dr. Buss buying the Lakers from Jack Kent Cook um, um, for, with I guess, with real estate swaps, Harry, <laughs> using real estate swaps as half of the compensation to buy the team for $67 million. It was really unbelievable just the, the way that they told the story. But the levity, the humor that they actually had in the depiction of all of it, I think is what what actually made it really, really cool. Now, there are a couple of people that don't come off looking that good in all of it. Jerry West is one of them. Um, The former Lakers owner, Jack Cancook, is another. It was just bad looks for both of them. But I will say this, to find somebody that could play Magic Johnson the way that Quincy Isaiah did, even down to the smile, was pretty impressive. So shout out to HBO for being able to put that together. And shout out to Adam McKay, the director of Winning Time. Chris, if you're a human being you, with two eyes and a heart, this game, this industry makes you feel good. What industry? Sweat socks? No, show business, baby. <laughs> that industry. Show business. Yeah, and Dr. Buss says that as he's leaving the Playboy Mansion, which is probably even more <laughs> impressive that they actually – depicted it in that way. So really, really interesting. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and check out Winning Time on HBO. Harry, we got to go on a more serious note with what's going on with the crisis in Ukraine. There are obviously Ukrainian athletes that are taking a stand and stepping up. And Ukrainian refugee Diana Yastrzemski um, ended up winning in three sets in uh, a tennis match that she had in the, the final of the Lion Open. She won uh, won her sets 3-6, 6-3, and 6-4, and she was cloaked in the Ukrainian flag, and when asked to speak about it, she she talked about the, how it impacted her um, watching her country go through what it went through, and that her performance was in a lot of ways to honor uh, the people that are still going through the crisis and uh, a war-term country as they deal with uh, the the incursion from the Russian military. So um, it's one of those things that's far-reaching. We understand the politics that are involved with it, but sometimes there is that intersection with professional sports, and it's unavoidable. And in this situation, with Ukrainian athletes using their platform to speak open and honestly um, and very emotionally about what their countrymen are going through. Yeah, Chris, and I want to tell a lot of people that are listening right now, stop complaining about stuff that you shouldn't even be complaining about. We have people in Ukraine right now who are going through tough times and hard situations, uh, and, and it's just not good. So you have the ability to live over here in this country right now, but not everyone in, in this world have the ability to do things like we do. So have empathy. Uh, stop complaining about things you shouldn't be complaining about. And understand that it is a privilege to live here in the United States. But at the same time, understand and have those empathy for people in Ukraine who are going through these tough moments. And I send my condolences to everyone because I've seen pictures of of, of bodies today and it it, it hit my heart, Chris. Yeah, it it, it definitely hits different. And Ukrainian flyweight Mariana Moroz had an emotional win uh, after she dominated in UFC 272. She talked about it and... It was clearly something that she felt it it hits a little bit different when you talk about fighting for something that's bigger than you. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.